200. Wow, that's right, 200 episodes. You are listening to the 200th episode of the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm your host. And holy moly, this is really kind of crazy and awesome. I really just want to say a big, huge thank you to all of you who've listened and to all the amazing folks who make this podcast happen, including the amazing friends over at Veeam Software. So give a shout out to them and drop a visit. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. They've been fantastic supporters of me, my whole community of, of creators here. So thank you to the Veeam team again, vee.am forward slash Discoposse, not just because they're great. They actually have the best data protection platforms in the entire universe. At least that's my opinion. So go check it out. And on top of that, if you want to celebrate 200 amazing podcasts, you're going to need to stay awake. How do you do that? You drink diabolical coffee. That is because it's the most devilishly good coffee. And we've got the most diabolically awesome swag, including... Really, really cool stuff, which is coming up for the holidays. So get on in. Some really cool slick mugs that are showing up there. So go to diabolicalcoffee.com. And one last amazing thing, because not just your data needs to be protected, but your life, your data in transit. The best way to do that is to make sure you use the fine folks at ExpressVPN. I've been a fan of VPNs for a long time for a variety of things. First, functionally to protect your data in flight, in transit, wherever you go, because I travel a lot. And on top of that, going one step further by making sure that you can do cool things like testing for different locations and locales and testing latency in your network when you're doing web testing. I'm a big fan of doing that. So do that. Do that thing. Go to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash Disco Posse. Again, that's tryexpressvpn.com forward slash Disco Posse. That's it for the live reads for this one. And speaking of live reads, this is live and awesome. Well, it was live when I did it. I guess technically every recording is live when you do it. But this is Rob Hirschfeld. Rob is a good friend. He's also the founder of RackN, the inventor of cloud. Oh, yeah, you're going to hear about that story. So I think this is really worthwhile to jump on in. Thank you to the folks who do this thing and support this podcast. Make sure you share it. Click subscribe. Go to Rob's site at RackN. Check out the 2030 Cloud podcast. Also fantastic. And with that, actually, the funny thing is, it's just the episode speaks for itself. There you go. Rob Hirschfeld on the Disco Posse podcast. Hello, this is Rob Hirschfeld, and you are listening to the Disco Posse podcast. This is the fun part because I get to do the intro. You've actually done your voice for the intro before. I, uh, I've i been lucky enough, Rob. Now we've we've talked a few times on this. And I wanted to have you on because this is super special for me. Uh, first of all, to thank you. Uh, you are one of the inspirations to why I do this. I I kind of go back to sitting in, a, in Austin at OpenStack Summit and and me with my crazy weird usb dual mic setup just trying to, to put something together and uh and we sort of got to first sort of meet and spend time there actually at the at the summit and obviously yeah. we've we've run a lot of miles both in the tech circuit and quite literally on the ground at these events but this is 200 
I had you on for my hundredth wow. episode, and this is my two hundredth episode. So that's why uh, it was perfect that we got a chance to put this together. So Double thank you for inspiring me, man, and 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 doing you know both in business in life you know and of course the podcast is the third piece of that it's it's been pretty it's been a wild ride <laughs> i've been you've been a valuable friend and uh i've been enjoying you know it's fun because with podcasting you get to listen to people talk vicariously yeah so, that's right <laughs> So that's, uh, that's, that's been exciting, and I, I love what you've been doing with, with the podcast, um, and and you know, sort of where you take it and the type of conversations you have. So, so I guess that's the been I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time with you, but for the folks that are new to you, let's have you do a, a reintroduction, and and I'll tell people sure. go back and and catch. You know, I think we're at like four. Uh, podcast we've actually recorded together on my side and and a couple on on your side here and there as well so uh but uh, let's let's give them the full meal deal on rob hirschfeld boy i this is it's interesting because i'm about to celebrate uh 20 years of inventing the cloud that's one of the claims of fame i sort of keep on the down low but dave mccrory and i need to get out and tell people a little bit more about it we started a company over 20 years ago now, where we were the first people doing virtualization in the data center at any any reasonable scale, and we filed some patents on it that are about to be expire. And uh, oh wow, we won't have to we won't have to worry about. We never made any money from them. They got locked up by um, startups and then acquisitions and things like that. But yeah, it's been so. I've been doing the data center automation and virtualization business for a long, long time. Sort of very true to the theme of what what it means to do uh, you know, virtualization and data center operations at scale. Um, like you said, you know, I got really involved. I was at Dell and got really involved in OpenStack uh, at the time when everybody was worried that VMware was gonna take over the cloud. <laughs> Amazon was, was a nuisance, not, not necessarily the juggernaut that it's become. Um, and then, wow, believe it or not, seven years ago, um, Racken is now seven years old. We left Dell wow. with this sort of idea that the the OpenStack was was going to have trouble because there weren't good operating paths, which is sort of what what we've we've seen play out. Um, this was pre Kubernetes. Like I was involved in Kubernetes early, and actually I we, I saw the same thing with Kubernetes and was concerned about the operational patterns too. And so the theme sort of for for me, career-wise, and then Racken specifically, is that you know companies aren't running infrastructure well. Um, yeah, and, and that's what right, Racken set out to say. All right, how do we help companies run infrastructure better? We we always said you know this idea that you're not smart enough to run a data center is 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 amazing marketing from Amazon's perspective, and. And what's what's crazy to me is that so many people in our industry just go along with it. But you know, the 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 HPs and Dells, you know, turn around and be like, oh, well, I guess our customers are too stupid to use the gear that we sell them. Um, and that's always insulted me at this sort of foundational level. Um, even the OpenStack stuff that we were doing always sort of got in the way of like, oh, well, it's, of course it's going to be hard to operate. That's that sort of goes with the territory. And even with Kubernetes now. I was just listening to uh, Brian uh, Grisley with the Cloudcast, and he's like, well, Kubernetes is really ex hard and complex, and we accept that. Um, 
and so I, it just it strikes me as a problem in our industry that we allow infrastructure to be so hard to operate. Um, and we've yeah. spent a lot of time talking about like needful complexity versus you know inherited complexity versus collaboration cost and things like that. So that, that's my my bad. So we're we're at a point now with Rack N. Um, sorry for the long intro. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's, it's, but we're at a point with Rack N after seven years where you know we're doing significant business, global scale uh, operations. We're we're break even profitable on the, on the business, which is great for a startup. Um, and, you know, sort of seeing things, things working the right way. And now we actually have to tell people <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is your, you've got three more years to, and you'll be an overnight success, right? The typical is the 10 year mark where it's, you're suddenly like, why haven't we seen this before? Like we've been here the whole time. <laughs> you should have seen us. We've been at every event. We've been contributing in code. We've been contributing in community. We've been contributing in our voice. And it's like, it, it's, it's a, there's a perseverance that's required to do this and a bootstrap on top of that. So like, that's, that's a big, big it, deal for people to do that. It's been crazy. I think some of it comes back to letting people catch up with your vision. Yeah. Right. There's there's definitely things that I've watched us do that make what what our vision is more accessible. But I've also watched people catch up to the vision. Um, and that's I think, you know, a lot of times with startups, if if you're having trouble communicating the idea, it could be that you're wrong <laughs> uh, or it could be that you're ahead. Um, right. I mean, that's what my yeah. my my virtualization experience was. Yeah, we knew VMs were going to be essential for running a data center in twenty, you know, twenty in two thousand. Um, but you know, people, it, we spent so much time telling people, "Hey, these VM things are real, and you should use them, and they're better than than hardware infrastructure for this purpose." That by the time we had won that battle, we'd lost the, you know, we'd lost the war from a, a startup perspective. Well, I tell you, and talk about another bootstrapped the example in the VM world, right? Literally VMware. Like I hadn't even realized mm -hmm. until not even that long ago that VMware was originally bootstrapped. Like it wasn't, they didn't go get VC. I was like, what? <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> it, it, but, you know, we look back on it now and it's it's kind of funny that just as a, a, a momentum that they have today that everything started with sort of breaking the mold on on human belief in technology viability and you know the trope of we can't use virtual machines because we need hardware performance we can't use the cloud because we need data center protections and security and controls we can't mm. use like we can't use Kubernetes because our applications can't, you know, live in ephemeral environments. You show me a can't and I'll show you a startup opportunity. It's really wild to see this transition over the, the tour. But like to your point, but, but, the yeah. vision is there and the perseverance to maintain that vision and execute against it for long enough for the industry to finally understand that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is a thing, and, and it's 
it's tough to find people. Erica Windish is one of my favorite examples who Erica has, has gotten to the 90 yard line of a hundred yard dash, like five times in a row. And then finally, <laughs> finally got to the finish line. Cause was never sort of for a variety of reasons had never been able to see something to fruition. And she's, you know, was able to do that with, with IO pipe and, and, and went to a, a successful exit. And, and I actually haven't caught up mm -hmm. with her in a long time. I should uh, again, because uh, it's just such a, a fantastic person, but. Yeah, she, she was, she was at, I remember this at OpenStack Paris fighting, you know, an early Docker um, and saying, this is a big deal. You need to pay attention. You need to pay attention. And, you know, the, the struggle of being able to explain why something is important. And this is, this is to me, part of my journey from being a technologist to being a CEO um, is understanding why and how to explain the business value of what, what you're, what you're doing. Right. Because right? as technologists, we all want to be like, this is shiny and pretty and it solves, you know, it, it, it makes this easier. And that's, that's, enough of a reason but um it's not enough of a and and you know we need to accept that that just because something's better or easier or the new thing it's not necessarily what what gonna you know actually become a success um and so that, that's always a challenge like for us you know it's, it's taken us a long time to be better at expressing how much the complexity of what people are building is a actual problem right. and this this is this is worth sort of like like you run around in tech circles and everybody's like how oh, things are so complex i'm scared of the complexity i'm worried about the complexity um i started doing this stuff about a year ago um on um a jevons complexity paradox if you're not familiar yeah. with jevons paradox it's core technology thing that we need to understand better about when you make something easier or cheaper people use more of it and so about a year ago, I was convinced that we have a complexity paradox going on where we've made it super easy to use cloud services or things like that. And there's no downside. There's no deep parent cost in that. But we've now made, you know, that, that hiding complexity has made it everything much more complex and the complexity starts bubbling to the surface. And, you know, like the Amazon downtimes where, you know, one service fails and it cascades to their whole infrastructure, right? We right. see this pattern over and over and over again. Um, or then you offload your services to a third party who uses the underlying services in Amazon, so you're hosed anyways. <laughs> it's right. We we are we are like one step away from, you know, Amazon going down because they had a third party that depended on a service that was in Microsoft that depended on a service that was in Google, and the Google service failed because time went out. You know, the the time the time got out of sync. They, or the certificate, you know, a certificate yeah. wasn't updated when it was supposed to be updated. Yeah, somebody and forgot then that, to renew a certificate. That'll be what takes us all down. It won't be DNS. It's going to be some goofball who didn't set his calendar to renew a, an SSL cert. <laughs> or, I mean, that's what it'll, it, we, we can actually predict this with 100% certainty. It's going to be an SSL cert that expires, that depends on a DNS entry that, that where the person no longer has control of the DNS to do the, the, the MX record. Uh, not MX record, the, the, the record that's necessary to sort of to create and renew the certificate. Um, and so that, you know, it's going to be this cascading failure, but it's totally conceivable that the clouds actually have interdependencies on each other that they don't fully anticipate, they, they don't anticipate. Um, and that should scare everybody. The, the challenge is that 
being scared of the complexity of the problem and understanding the actual cost of that complexity and why uh, why somebody would you know from a business perspective pay money but it, it's really more simple it's really take action on um on the problem is that right this is this is what it always comes back to all right if if you've identified a problem how do you motivate somebody to take action to fix the problem or to change direction or, or things like that right that's and that's super hard people are busy we need to come up with a sysadmin heuristic it this is the the ability to relate to them that the problem that they're creating by adding mm. complexity with a diy solution is actually greater than the value and roi on investing in like it's yeah. the, the technical yeah. debt is just such a throwaway phrase that we attach to something but it 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 lets it gives us a free pass to ignore what's actually happening and identify it and it's 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 sad because you know you and I talk all the time about the stuff and we see it in real environments day in day out where you just we we celebrate the heroics of complexity <laughs> <laughs> like and it's and yeah that's right, nutty. That's right. <laughs> and and some of it some of it i'm starting to think about terms like complexity budget this is so you know i do this uh we actually have two hours a week where we we have people come together and talk about devops or the future uh so this cloud 2030 discussion group that we have um that i started like as a as a you know pandemic hallway track and we've been going over a year um, yeah. And then we turn them into podcasts so people can listen to them. But we, um, sorry, my dog is is coming uh, <laughs> through stuff. Hold on. Yeah, this is and that it, that in itself. Let's talk about that after. But uh, like the the fact that what twenty thirty cloud is now versus how it began. That's actually quite an interesting sort of it, path. It's, taken. it's stunning because we had we used to you know we we have a dedicated core and then people come in as they as they want to talk about topics and we identify topics and what's amazing is when you get a group of people talking about the future and infrastructure also um, week to week to week you these themes emerge out of those discussions um, that are just stunning right so you know we talk about complexity or coupling or the legal ramifications of jurisdictional changes that could impact how technology is formed like there's the threads here are are crazy um and there's some things that are like super impossible to talk about like we try to talk about networking networking always um double clicks down into um infrastructure or persons yeah. or technology or jurisdictions like security is the same way it's it's super hard to to sort of sink into a simple security problem um and then the complexity comes back, comes in over and over and over again. Um, and this idea of you know having a complexity budget and understanding what you're doing. The the point to, that you were making about the sysadmins and the, the technical debt though, is that a lot of this is organizational bias towards siloed behavior. Um, and and it's it's actually not just the organizations, it's actually the tools play to that because that's how you sell into market. So right. we are so used to operational silos and then the sell a tool or a platform or a product into an operational silo, you 
build tools that work for operational silos, right? And one of the things that Racken's done that I didn't even realize we were walking into this trap is that we built tools that crossed operational silos, right? Because our, our goal, our customer's goal was end-to-end -end operations, right? And I see this in conferences all the time. You get people, you know, the, the, the CEO or the, 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 the uh, you know, whoever's in charge of the conference, their big speaker stands up and says, I must have an end-to-end -end single pane of glass, one, yeah. one ring solution, right? And, you know, the ISRN flashes in the background and you're, uh, and everybody sort of watches and they're like, yes, yes, that's what we want. And then they leave you know, that session and they, they go talk about their siloed tools and, and how they're not going to act, you know, how the network team is the enemy and we have to fix it without them. Um, and so we, we've, we've created this interesting situation where it's very clear that you want an end-to-end -end solution. You need zero-touch operations. For us, it's, you know, somebody's wheeling a rack in to a data center, right? We, we do this for banks a lot. Um, and we're software, so the banks are doing it. We're just making it possible. Um, but you reel a rack in to a server in country somewhere, and they turn on that rack, and they want that 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 event to turn into working productive equipment, you know, inside of an hour. Um, and they and then they want it to be completely the same process that they use every 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 data center, right? Or if they need to reset the data center because they're worried about ransomware or something like that, they push a button, go get a coffee, and then come back and have the system all set. But, which sounds simple, but to do that, you're actually talking about crossing 15 or a bank, 15 or 20 different organizational silos to get all right. that stuff to work right. Um, and it's a super hard problem, be not because you can't do all those things. It's a super hard problem because each silo resists integrating with the other silos, right? It's one of the things that made cloud a big deal. It's like, oh, you know, my developer can set up a network because the Amazon APIs have networking. My developer can set up a compute system. Yay. doesn't mean they're doing it in ways the network team wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the thing that I, you think about from all those perspectives, though, is that, is that we've incented the industry to build silo, 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 and tools to do silo, 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 silo. Um, and then um, we, we haven't created the incentives to connect the dots, right? I mean, DevOps conferences are full of, of people crying on each other's shoulders about how misunderstood they are. I, I'm sorry to be pejorative. I'm not trying to be pejorative about DevOps conferences. Actually, the way sort of the way it goes is like, we need to talk about the culture that would allow me to, to you know, work with another team. And then they have, you know, say that, and then they go in the next room, and they're like, "These are all the reasons why I can't work with the other team." And right, uh, or you you tell them that you're an ops focused person, and I kind of I pulled this thread the other day, and and I it it had the precise effect that I thought it would. I I actually said that your GitHub heat map is is a GitHub heat map actually. A meritocracy, right? Because I and I meant it in the way that I'm often presented by people all the time that if I'm doing infrastructure as code and I'm dabbling, that the moment that I go to a DevOps conference and pull this thread, pull that 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 it's not again not talking negatively on the DevOps conference, but the audience there, the community that's there, a GitHub heat map is sort of a it's like a great vendor T-shirt to them. It's a thing they wear proudly and a thing that they show off. And so when you get there and you don't have that, you don't necessarily have the skills 
to walk into the room that that screams about inclusivity and then you get shoved out the back because you didn't write a Perl script and you don't know who, you know, somebody else was at one point in time. I, I, I feel that sort of battle, like Gartner at their recent event, they, they talk now about XOps, which was, at, I, I rarely see something that I find kind of cool about some of the Gartner stuff because they have to be careful and generic with a lot of things. They're talking about, <laughs> they do, they're yeah. talking about predicting shipbuilding which is, it's a really, really tough thing to the level they're working at. So they talk about mm -hmm. XOps as like DevOps, AIOps, MLOps, ITOps, NetOps, that each yeah. of these silo breaking methodologies has created its own silo and we need a, a cross silo breaking silo create, like it's, we need a, an abstraction layer for the silos that have really been meant as abstraction layers to silos. <laughs> well. And this is actually an, an, an a hat tip to Gartner because they've really been doing um, something that we we think is a good description of this, um, and and ThoughtWorks has done it too. I you know it, it's but they call it infrastructure pipeline or continuous right. infrastructure automation pipelines. We we consider them automation pipelines, and they're actually showing you know all of these things fitting together, and it's different than value stream mapping, which is like you know. Similar, it's like I need all my teams to work together and understand how I generate value. Yeah, it's important, but but they're they're actually elevating it to say I have all these silos; they need to be connected in a pipeline, like a CI/CD pipeline, but for infrastructure. Um, and we found that nomenclature incredibly helpful for this. Um, the the difference being that what we've been doing with RackN and Digital Rebar, our, our product, is we've actually built the infrastructure pipeline as a platform. Whereas the uh, there's thunder going on in the background, you can probably see it. <laughs> see, it see the lightning in the window. It's uh, you're in the midst of a good Texas storm. <laughs> Much I've got my, my, my UPS, and I should be should be set. But uh, see what happens? Um, yeah, definitely much needed rain. The but you know the idea here that I can run a, a workflow all the way across across all these pieces as a platform is actually a critical thing. When Gartner shows it, they're like, and I've got 20 different tools I have to use to connect all these dots together. And the lift on that organizationally is super high. And the complexity that it's that you create is super high. So um, we're excited to see a name for it, you know, the infrastructure pipelines concept, which people seem to sort of get right. intuitively. They're like, okay, I got CICD pipelines for code. They don't really work that well for for infrastructure, you know. We can talk about GitOps and, and how that's that's sort of this very narrow band of things, but it doesn't really work for infrastructure. So I need a pipelining system that connects all these tools I've got for infrastructure. It's like Jenkins for your hardware, <laughs> right? Like it, for, when, you can, and, when you can give it mm -hmm. a name and a relative, uh, you know, example. And I've I've totally stolen your infrastructure pipelines when I talk about stuff, you know, through through the stuff my team's doing at work. We because we've got the app pipeline, which people are totally they get like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, there's both application and infrastructure pipelines. And when it comes to doing things around decision automation and infrastructure automation, that's where we're seeing the more of it come into play, which is originally it was like just 
just do the thing like the hypervisor manager will be the layer that people work with and so we'll attack it there but what we're finding more and more is that no no they're using a some kind of a pipeline to manage that abstraction layer and they've they've moved right. away and they've realized the true control plane is the human control plane which lives in pipeline and pipeline is manifest it's physical human run books that we've played out for all this time and now we can actually relate it into product and this is why i've i've been a i'm on team rack and i've been for a long time on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> thank you it it's interesting to us you know and it's it's useful to bring up the human run book piece of this uh, because right we do want this end-to-end -end component and one of the things about the pipelines for us because right we're a product company so us building a platform that gave somebody a pipeline would be a pat on the back but it's not our objective and actually this is this is worth worth explaining what we try to do is we want the pipelines we build to be reusable and standard so it you know and and I watched this and and this is like goes back to rackend formation history we used to do a ton with chef switched over to ansible right and and all those tools are great really good actually but they aren't designed for reuse. So what we see in the industry is, and Terraform has the same same thing in spades. It's it's really a challenge. Is we see people using the tool, but in in similar ways, but not with shareable components. Like you, you get a Terraform provider, but when people build like a plan to talk to a piece of infrastructure, those plans are not typically reusable. They're not decomposable, right? So you know, you might have three teams using three, the Terraform to interface the same cloud, but doing it in different ways. And, you know, nobody can audit it and it's nobody can check it. It's, it becomes really a problem. And that's where the pipelines break down. You can't build a pipeline easily if the things that you're building the pipeline on top of don't have a degree of standardized interconnect between them. So yeah, the one of the things this is the one thing, and just yeah. to sort of pull on the Terraform piece, like even in their own docs, they're very clearly tell you this is a bad idea. If you are doing data interplay between external systems, it's not going to go well. You know, it's you're creating rigidity and things can change mm -hmm. and then your runbook will no longer be valid. It's uh, I I respected that they put it in there, but like any any good it's, stuff you put in a documentation, it'll never be read and people are still going to try and <laughs> try and work well, around. The the, the, and you and I've talked about this before, right? The, the the pattern in Terraform is it is a single source of truth, and and so the, and Terraform sort of easy to pick on in this case. They designed a, a tool that is a, has a single source of truth embedded in it that it assumes it can actually control the environment, which is handy if you have to build an environment. But infrastructure changes outside of right before and after your tool runs, and even like in between the runs of your tool, the infrastructure changes. And right. so the idea that the state is controlled by Terraform is a failure at the pipeline level, right? Because at, at, pipelines are part of a flow. And so things happen before your tool operates, things happen after your tool operates. And so in building a pipeline, you have to have this idea of an incremental state and your state has to be adaptable. So if you're messing with the infrastructure, you, know, you have to expect that something might change outside and you can take that information in and say, oh, look, I've just learned this. 
and there's a ton of cases, especially in configuration, where you like you build a cluster and the keys for that cluster aren't known until the cluster's built. Right? You might right. get a, a token or a security or generate a certificate. Right? That's what makes Kubernetes so hard to install. It's not Kubernetes. Kubernetes is a simple Go binary that could run as a in, in system D with a you know a 10-line install command. Not what makes Kubernetes hard. It's the fact that you have to generate services for every, if you do it right, for every service that interacts with it. And then distributing the TLS infrastructure is actually what made you know the whole Kubernetes the hard way was because of the TLS infrastructure you had to build, not because of the binaries. The binaries are the least of your concerns. Um, yeah, just just <laughs> open-ended communication between between nodes is like the simplest possible thing. The scheduler out of the box does what it's supposed to do. It's actually creating a proper, secured, and and operational infrastructure. That's resilience too, right? That was the one thing I've. And uh, I'm probably the only person who talks about Nomad who doesn't have a HashiCorp.com email address. And I've even got two Pluralsight courses on it, which are, <laughs> you know, lightly attended just because it's still, you know, early days with a lot of that stuff. But uh, I'm banking that, you know, there's more and more people are going to dig. I liked that it has stuff that solves a lot of these problems. However, yeah. it, it just moves the problem goalpost a little bit to a different area. I mean, in, at the end of the day, for something like that, you know, your your development team or whatever is going to use a, a tool that should abstract out how the containers are operated. And so, you know, we see this like, you know, when we, we use Terraform for our pipelines to do cloud provision uh, because people are used to it. The, the cloud interfaces are actually pretty good, even though they're heterogeneous. We, we deal with heterogeneous stuff pretty well because that's what infrastructure is. But at the same time, when we do it, we, we designed it in a way that doesn't require Terraform to be the interface. So if somebody, you know, if somebody says, oh, wait, I don't want to use Terraform anymore, or HashiCorp becomes hostile, and Terraform isn't a good, a good utility, we could switch. Because at the end of the day, it's not whether you want to use Terraform or not, just like, you know, Nomad versus Kubernetes, it's not whether you, you, how, you nobody cares, as long as your container's running and schedulable. Yeah. So the idea is you, you want to break it back into what that what that unit of work needs to be done at that phase in the pipeline. And then you can start substituting, which is exactly what CICD pipelines do. It's like, yeah, look, I started with code. I needed to deploy it. Um, whatever you got, you know, and then over time, you keep adding new things into the middle of the pipeline or you switch tools. And you're like, oh, I, there's here's a better security scanner. I'm going to swap it. And nobody pipeline keeps going. It's just you swapped out a segment that does the job better. Um, and that abstraction becomes a really useful thing to building all these systems. But you have to have that that connective tissue. You have to have a way to to move state across a pipeline. Um, so it's 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 been fascinating for us. Yeah. The the thing that I really want to pull out of this is you, you mentioned it. You know, we HashiCorp happened to be the example, right? What if HashiCorp becomes hostile? And we always we have this thing like even Kubernetes. You know, people are like, oh, there's such a vast, you know, group of people worldwide who are supporting Kubernetes. How can I go sideways? Like one word, Docker, right? Like, so mm -hmm. to the point now where we're questioning whether it's even viable to maintain now that Docker desktop is licensed and like it is entirely possible. Look, Mirantis <laughs> was a good example, like the largest ever funding round in open source history, $100 million. and I have not actually heard Mirantis mentioned except 
in you know historical reference for quite a while. I mean, they're probably they're doing stuff. They were now they were the Kubernetes company, and they were originally the OpenStack company. They they've had yeah. to pivot and adjust, and the world, you know, has not necessarily been friendly for them. As a result, it's it's tough. So Docker went through the same thing. When you wrap yep. a when you wrap a business around an open source product, and then there's a divergence of of belief systems in where it goes. We see we see now it played out now, and now they have mm -hmm. to make it commercially viable. And so, what's the all of a sudden we have to unattach? Like this is the AWS risk factor of in in open. So <laughs> Kubernetes, yes, like it it we I always, no matter how large it is, I have to think about what's the risk pattern. And it's you know it, this is sort of the the lock in. Uh -huh. The lock-in myth, uh, in a way, but as a methodology, well, I need to if, think if 20, about preparedness. If 2020 hasn't taught us anything about supply chains, <laughs> then then right, you're not paying attention, right? That you know, we we have learned about physical supply chains. We've learned about you know, going back to solar winds, about you know, software and virtual supply chains. These are absolutely critical things that companies should be considering in, in how they look at building their software. Um, and, and innovation is part of that supply chain, right? We, you know, one of the things that we talk about with a cost of complexity uh, is that when you build systems that are very complex, they end up being tightly coupled or having unseen coupling. And that coupling actually makes it harder to innovate, right? We just glibly talked about, you know, CI CD pipeline where you swap out something that, that works better. Um, I could easily see, um, actually, the, it's, it's very pragmatic. So if you are, well, I'll stick in Terraform, but so if you use us to provision with Terraform, we build, a, we build a template. You like our templates or you use whatever Terraform, but you could come back and say, you know what, I'm not using the provider that you're using. The version I have is, is further back because it hasn't been tested or, right, or, uh, there's a new feature that I have to use in the cloud that isn't exposed in the provider yet because they lag. Um, and so it, it is essential that your automation, right, for us, the, the pipeline has an extension point that says, oh, wait a second, I, if I need to make a call to, you know, a Amazon API or a cloud API or another tool that's not factored in, I can add that into my pipelines without breaking other things. Right, and this this is it's subtle, but it's so important. This took us a long time to to realize and, and longer to get right. <laughs> is that even though I'm using a completely standard process, right? All of our cloud interfaces use the exact same pipeline, but they all of them have extension points. I actually just gave this talk in in ADDO, and I, I wish I'd had more time to show it. But each cloud has its own layer of oh, these are the things that I have to do to service that cloud through Terraform. Same actions that I run in Terraform, but the way you do the work, it's not just plan differences. Um, like for Linode, you have to open a firewall port. For you know, for Google, uh, CloudInit doesn't work right. So you have to SSH and Ansible in to join the machine. Um, right, each one has some wrinkle. And you can easily imagine my company makes this additional call in Amazon that isn't in a Terraform plan, or I can't put in a plan, or I, the sequencing is wrong. And so you're like, how do I add in my my unique wrinkle into that work? Normally, you would fork it. You would have your own version of it, or you'd write a bash script. It would be 
But what we worked out with the pipelines that has been game-changing for us is that there are extension points in how pipelines are built that allows you to infrastructure as code-wise extend the pipeline. And then from that perspective, have a, infra, you know, a, a very narrowly defined this, oh, here is where I have to open up network ports in Linode because I don't have a network, you know, they don't have a firewall in place like Amazon does. Same inputs, different, you know, different actions or, or, you know, slightly different paths. But I could go back and see exactly how it was different than the standard path. And then we do that like for Linux installs or VMware installs, right? Every, that, that pattern of standard with known extensions plays out in incredible ways. How did we get here? This is about protecting innovation. Yeah, when it's in it, when it comes to drift management, and this is the other thing that we often see as <laughs> problem, right? There's there's provisioning, yep. so stuff that's particularly good at provisioning, and there's stuff that's particularly good at continuous configuration management, and never the twain shall meet. This is part of the problem mm -hmm. that we bump into. Now, where where does drift can, drift management come into play now in how you're approaching this problem? So drift drift management is tricky, um, and there's a couple ways that you can slice it. Are you thinking that the system is drifting out under the configuration, or are you thinking the actual configuration yeah, has like, to change over it, time? I'll say first is the you know the infrastructure itself moves right with the right level mm -hmm. of abstraction, the right level of change that can occur i mean we this is where we i used to bump into this with with just ter terraform like just a simple cloud a persistent cloud workload and all of a sudden for no real particularly good reason 22 days into me running my infrastructure it gets reprovisioned because there was some drift in Terra and terraform sees it and says no 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 and it respawns my my workload because it saw underlying yeah. drift in aws that i'm like I wouldn't even have noticed the workload was exactly the same, but somewhere a host, an identifier, something changed that was enough of a drift <laughs> that it triggered a Terraform, you know, flow. It, it could actually be a change in the provider that you're using. One of the reasons right. now that you can lock, you can lock the provider so you don't get an updated provider that then interprets a value in a different way. Yeah, um, yeah the, the way we, we deal with that is that our, our state information is, designed to be incrementally extended and incrementally updated um, in very, very, very tactical terms. Like we embrace patch as an, as an API as opposed to put, <laughs> which means that we expect people to make changes to individual parameters or individual values in objects rather than expecting somebody to replace the whole value. Um, right, it's, it's like if, you know, anybody, telling, anybody making changes to a Terraform state file you know, you're you're like, all right, they're doing it with tweezers and they're they they know they're doing something dangerous and crazy, right? It's the bomb defusal squad. Sometimes you have to do it, but you're gonna wear as much padding as you can. Yeah. Um and so for us, we know state changes all the time. So from a drift perspective, you know, we work to item potency and not doing bad things and telling you, hey, this this value isn't what I expected. I'm gonna stop and not try to fix it. Rule number one with infrastructure. Stop if something isn't what you expect. Don't just keep keep going. Um, 
<laughs> it works, then, the, works the same with fiber cables when you're run, mac, racking a server. If you feel if you feel resistance when you're shoving the server back into the rack, <laughs> you should probably stop and think about why there's resistance. <laughs> we we have this fight all the time, and actually, we ended up adding retries in as an as a as a programmable option, which is nice. So I can be like, hey, this thing always fails. One retry, and it fixes it. But by default, we don't do we don't do retries. Because if something didn't go the way you planned, then it's wrong. Stop, figure out what happened and, and fix it. And sometimes people are like, ah, you know, I don't like that. And we're like, look, it's much better to, to realize that you know it wasn't what you expected to fix it. Um well, actually, so some of some of one further yeah. on that one, if you don't mind, Rob, the timeouts is also one of the biggest areas of of issues I've seen with people that just like manually blow out timeouts into their it, like Terraform is a great example of this. I'll run exactly the same build. I like fully automated an EKS cluster. And everybody said, why would you do that? It's the simplest thing. Just use CloudFormation. Like assume that I'm going to do it on Azure 2 with AKS. So I want to have a central right. way. So I did it. Whether I'm, you know, self, you know, annihilating my my belief in the, in the world by doing this stuff all the time but i do it and i and i build it and it runs and it takes like 17 minutes to have a complete eks cluster it's fantastic and then i go on a webinar and i go to do it and it takes 42 minutes because uh. just some weirdness inside amazon takes longer and then if one thing flips beyond five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever the default timeout is in Terraform, the whole thing just fails. And now I can't just pick it up where I was. I have to basically unwind it. But now there's timeouts on the unwind because there's these yeah. weird interdependencies. So you end up with this weird sort of like ladder of dependencies that time can change the the ability for a dependency to exist or not exist it's a even beyond it that that's the one that i've yeah. it the, first is raw retry but even within that just the infrastructure could take longer for some unknown reason something won't reply back in time <laughs> and then a perfectly working manifest will not work the next time yeah, and, and it could be something that is not actually, it's a dependency chain that you don't actually have a real dependency on or something that was misconfigured that's never going to recover. Um, what what we did with infrastructure pipelines is we saw patterns like that where you're like using a tool to do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and because the tool is biased towards like single source of truth or very, um, you know, uh, atomic actions, uh, right. Ansible's like this, right? You, you build these amazing, these immense playbooks. And you run them, and then they either work or they don't. <laughs> and unwinding them is impossible. Um, what what we have done is go the opposite direction. So when we build a, a pipeline, it actually decomposes into very small units. And a lot of times we'll leave units in and just say, ah, this is a no-op, because we know that in a different circumstance, you might want that in, and you can turn it on later, or right, you can, you can um you know, just make sure that it doesn't impact the type of infrastructure you're working with. There's that, that, that could be a whole hour conversation about how subtly and powerfully that standardization works. But what we do, because we end up running each component in what you're described as a, as a pipeline, is that the system would actually go in and say, oh, I'm running cluster with 100 things in it. Yay, the cluster or even multiple clusters are going to have their own management thread that you can track and see. And it's a pipeline that's doing its work. 
but it's coordinating actions on separate pipelines running on the different pieces of infrastructure you pulled in. And then that actually, and this is one of the big things that's coming in, in the next release, that actually pulls in this concept of resource brokers where instead of it, you know, the cluster running the plan, the cluster actually talks to a system that is responsible for providing resources in a generic way. And then that, so that, that becomes a generic uh, abstraction point. And then that is actually what runs Terraform. So you've got this place where with what you've been doing, you're like running a Terraform plan and then it has to go to Amazon and build a whole bunch of resources and do all this stuff. And if something gets stuck, that plan now is your, 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 you're locked there. And then the state for that plan is all of your infrastructure. And you, you know, unteasing that becomes like, all right, I got to un unwind it and try the whole thing again. What we've been doing is actually decomposing that into all the units and then letting each unit be its own pipeline. Um, and then that means that you could actually say, oh, I'm building a cluster and here's all the resources I got spun up. That's great. And now here's all the downstream work I have to do. And if something breaks in that one task, you might actually be able to fix that one task, reassert it, and then continue. And then the other things waiting for that to happen would get triggered when they're supposed to trigger. Um, which sounds more complex. This is this is the irony. This is this is why complexity is so hard to describe. Pulling us a little bit full circle. Complexity is not bad. Everybody's like, oh, I have too much complexity. I have to get rid of my complexity. I'm gonna go move everything to Amazon and just use their tools, or I'm gonna, you know, only buy from this one vendor, or you know, and that that's not, or you know, I'm gonna use Terraform for all the provisioning. And you're like, but Terraform doesn't do some types of provisioning very well. Um, and so they, they end up looking at it. And so what we've, what we've done is we've stepped back from, um, and this, we're, we, we started as a bare metal automation company and complexity is not avoidable in bare metal. Just as you can't say, Hey, I, I don't think I like raid controllers anymore. You shouldn't use them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm just going to buy giant SSDs and be done with all that. Um, but the idea here is that you need to manage complexity. So there's times when you decompose stuff into small units of work, because once the unit is a small unit, it's reusable and you can track it. And if something changes, your, 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 your blast radius for that change is small. So you've decoupled the actions. Um, you might have more moving parts, but they're easier to manage as a unit. And this is the frame that we've really been helping people see. It's not about eliminating complexity. It's about managing complexity. Right, well, infrastructure is code. Go ahead. I, I'm saying you're you're introducing also the problem that we we fail to talk about that I see because I'm maybe just I've spent way too much time in business continuity, you know, design mm. and and stuff, and I so I have a very systems thinking approach to all like always thinking about dependencies and interdependencies and and life cycle, including duration. Right. So what you're creating effectively is long running ephemeral infrastructure. It's the idea that you could <laughs> rip and replace. Yes. However, we also know the pattern of consumption is not to use this stuff like ephemeral, like seconds long containers. We, right. we do not, despite the ability to do so, design applications and infrastructure to be treated like a bunch of cattle that we you know gun down in the field, apparently, which is whatever the, the reference we want to, want to choose, right? The reality is that I've got containers, I've got VMs, I've got hardware that has to live much longer than what was originally anticipated to the point where things inside it 
we're looking for clean deprecation options, you are creating the ability to have that long running yet ephemeral pattern so that you can ultimately get the best of both worlds so that when the time does come to there is some kind of an underlying you know a drift a deprecation that that needs to occur that you can look at it from the pipeline perspective which is the right abstraction the human abstraction is to treat it as a pipeline and then life cycle and duration become variables that you apply to that pipeline and that's what's been powerful for us once we started thinking about things as these pipeline pipeline segments and and this took me it took me some mental lift because our CTO would get he'd be like no you're not thinking about pipelines and I'm like what do you mean I, I get it I get it again and, and I, we'd keep taking me down the path further and further and and it is about the human understanding of what how the pipelines work and the intent the pipelines have intents and what what constitutes a pipeline and so when we talk about a pipeline it really is like, oh, I need to build a cluster. Okay, great. That cluster is composed of pipelines that need to build a Kubernetes you know, worker or a Kubernetes leader. And then you know, the cluster's job is to then connect all those things together. And so you sort of you end up with the with an intent, and then the intent gets pieced together out of other pieces. And then one of the things that's fun is you actually end up with standard units in that process. So when you build the pipeline, right, you might only have, you might have a pipeline that the difference between the hardware and the virtual pipeline might be a whole bunch of stuff in the middle, but all the stuff at the end is the same, which is amazing. So now you're just like, okay, I, I got the standard. I'm just dropping it in and it, it's, it's going to work. And then that solves, you know, what we have been trying to solve for a long time, which is how do we stop reinventing the wheel every time we have to provision a server? Right. That, yeah. Right. For us, it matters because we don't we want our customers to be able to repeat success across every one of our customers. Right. It's a big deal right now. Uh, we have a ton of VMware uh, deployment stuff for banks and media and hosting companies and telcos and stuff like this. So we're doing a ton of this. But we've gotten to a point now where they're all using the same pipeline. It doesn't mean they're using the same hardware, the same network technology right. or even the same version of VMware. All those things are extensible, but they're using the same pipeline. And so when we when VMware changes something or, or we improve something, that pipeline can be shipped to them as a new code unit. Their extensions are, are against known points, so they can reuse that. And we're seeing the same thing coming up in the way we're doing Terraform work and the way we're doing cloud interface. Um, so for us, it's a, it's a customer to customer thing, but in, inside of our customers, it's a team to team thing or a data center to data center um, or a cloud to cloud thing. So you can be like, oh, wait a second, I'm going to build a pipeline and use that on Amazon, right? And then you can say, well, all right, I need to use that same pipeline on Google. We know where the, the deltas are. That, that reusability is really important. But then two teams can actually share the components that they can share. Um, that's the, that's the, the thinking that's so hard in this, right? It's, the tools are designed, we were talking about the Terraform ones, right? The tool Terraform isn't designed for people to share their plans. Even if right. you you know use Terraform Cloud or Terraform Enterprise, it's it's managing the stuff better and letting a team work together. But the idea of of you know everybody in your company using the same plan, um I you know, that's that's where things get get more interesting from our perspective. 
you've actually created a pipeline marketplace in effect that innovation in one area allows you to feed it yeah. back and then share it with the rest of the community which is but that's where the so and like to bring us back to perseverance yeah. the seven year you know and beyond period right your vision is being realized now because you had this what you needed to do was get people to come along for the ride and then the network effect you know sort of begins to come in right it's it's a really difficult thing as like customer one through ten to get them to <laughs> you've got to see that you know down the road and so there's some stuff you don't know right as you said like this is this is a matter of, of of laser focus because um and this is it's been super hard um from the start, my co-founder and I wanted to build a software, not a consulting or services company. Um, and because what we wanted to be able to do, and what we heard really clearly is nobody feels like they're in, in you know, improving their business by installing RAID and BIOS configuration and, and laying down operating systems, right? It's, it, you know, like I said, this is something that the industry should just have working. It shouldn't be a creative exercise at any company. And there's, there's no business value created by doing it in a creative way. Um, but that's the way it's been for, for the whole time I've been in industry. Um, and we could have taken our expertise in those areas because, right, we know more about RAID and BIOS configuration and pixie booting servers than, than really, and, you know, I'd stand up my team against anybody. Um, but selling those, those hours would have done no good. I mean, and, and we walked and made it harder for our, our journey as a company. We walked away from, hey, can you just build something for me at my, in my data center so that I can do this better? Um, and we would come back and say, no, that's not what we do. We have a, a software platform and a product and it, it does it this way. And if, you know, that will benefit you if you adopt it. And we had plenty of customers, you know, uh, there was $1 million account that we were basically like, we're not going to patch your cobbler infrastructure for you um <laughs> right i mean that was like well we, we can't pull the plug on it it, it runs you know a hundred thousand servers and like we'll help you migrate it but we're not going to fix it for you because fixing it would have entrenched you in this bad pattern um and yes yeah, that was from a startup perspective being true to we're doing software that's you know repeatable patterns that can become a marketplace and have shared you know um what we usually talk about is curated content. Um, that you know, that's the value, rather than showing up with you know people in parachutes into your data center and, and fixing it so that your you know twenty year old um, infrastructure designs can can live another five years. Something, something cloud for you only. Something right, like this. This is what we saw this with the, the application development pattern. That's with the team at, at, at like the Cloud Foundry. Like they they said, like let's let's go in as a as a pattern development and mm -hmm. like coaching program. And like so, it was far more consulting heavy. And as a result, yeah. right? You know, how many times have you seen a Bosch implementation lately? because they didn't lead with products and then use consulting as a secondary revenue stream. In fact, the best thing you've done is said like, no, I, we could genuinely make money by putting consulting hours in and pulling together a, a, a SWAT team of people and growing this whole stable of consultants. But what you're doing is delaying the inevitable 
and you're empowering them to do things that are counter to the vision that you have to be able to do and result you survive <laughs> you persevere and and on the other side of it people are like dang this is it it actually works and 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 it's always worked it's just that now they've got social proof and 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 customer proof right it's the the nascar slide is now something that people can you know ah okay well if 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 company x is doing it then i better get on this train right <laughs> and it's funny that's, you said before too like business value like i i often i almost wanted to do like for any super technical startup founder i'm like you almost want to say like do a spoof like a b of a you know quarterly investor call it's never like uh you know jamie diamond getting on saying uh yeah yeah this week uh we updated the uh, raid firmware on all of our servers on our private cloud and uh so it's it's gone very well we've got a strong group of folks that are working on it like no it's they're talking about business outcomes that they're doing and then this this stuff that has to happen you got a choice of how you're going to let it happen are you going to yeah you know are you going to let the cloud drive you or are you going to create the cloud and you're you're delivering right you're this is what alex polvey talked about like giphy right you've done it <laughs> yeah that's right no, it's it's been a it's one of those slow methodical things focusing on you know for us customer autonomy um at the end of the day but yeah it's it's hard it's it's been a it's, it is definitely a journey it's fun to watch customers pick it up by the way um and then see it spread virally inside of an organization which you know we typically see that or we had a customer is like yeah all your stuff was working great we usually don't have any trouble with with any of your stuff we're you know and they, you know, they're like, but we're seeing something, you know, and a couple hours later, you know, they're like, oh, we have, yeah, we had uh, some misconfiguration uh, on our end. And, <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you help them, you help them through that. And um, it's the, the fun thing is when they're autonomous from that perspective. Um, it's, it's, but it's the opposite of what a lot of people are doing right now. They're all telling you to outsource. They're all telling you to manage service. Right, we'll take over. We'll run your data center for you. Um, I, I just the the head pet of you know, hey, it, Kubernetes is too hard for you to understand. Let us do that for you. Um, it's a good business model for people, right? It, it yay, but to yeah, me, this yeah. is the, and, and we saw this with OpenStack, and it was it was really bad. The the idea that our software is too complex for somebody to learn how to use. So just let us take it over. That's our new business model is we're going to keep it complex and so that you don't have to worry about it. That's just the industry isn't going to grow. That's not a growth model for the industry, especially with edge and things like that coming in. Right. We we should have the underlying another hour on, on this yeah. of, of, yeah, of thinking through, you know, what it, what would it look like if we had, you know, small data centers in everybody's house or in a municipality and what would it look like to make that stuff go? That that's game changing. Um, all this cloud stuff is it's great, it's amazing, it's powerful, and people should use the heck out of it. But at the end of the day, be careful about the autonomy that you're you're losing. Um, in a lot of cases without even realizing it. 
True that, true that. Talking about and my one close and complexity, and I don't mean to make fun of the folks at Microsoft because Microsoft Ignite, of course, is happening as we're recording this. is actually fairly rapid that it's going to go live. The, I saw the, the, the like tweet and it had like this thing. It was like, as your arc deploying Kubernetes on vSphere. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it's just a, a list of things that I, I would love to do as a science experiment, but nothing I would want to run in production. However, like there's a, there's a thing. So I, I, you know, bless them for, for gluing together a lot of, of, of bits <laughs> and, but there's a reason those patterns are out there in, in the end, what is the thing that we need to do is do do cloud as a practice treat infrastructure as you know commodity and and like i said it's just it's beautiful to see it realized in in what you're doing and the cheat is that as we close up this part of the podcast i get to get a real live demo of this stuff but we should definitely get you out more and more. Now you've got such a fantastic audience as well. Cloud 2030 is is amazing. Uh, it's it's really wild to see how that's continued to to gain momentum. And you know, I I always used to at first I remembered you know, telling people that like I I know Rob Hirschfeld. He's like <laughs> it didn't take long because I was you know your your reputation and the respect you've gained in the industry for Okay. Asking the right questions when sometimes people are a little afraid to hear the answers. Uh, it's the the fact that you've done it <laughs> and and gotten to the to in people have realized it's for the solution, not just to be the guy that asked the questions. Uh, that you've just you've just defined what cloud 30 is all about in very succinct terms. It's asking questions that that we're sometimes afraid what the answers will be. And it's uh, it's it's great to see that more and more as I bump into folks, I say, yeah, you know, this neat stuff rack. And they're like, oh, Rob Hirschfeld. Right. Yeah. And like, all right. Like it's the, the association is there and and, yeah. and the respect is is earned in, in what you're doing, you. which is which is cool. So I'm glad that well, we, you know, one day we'll we'll do some more work together in the world. You know, it's it would be uh, it would be neat to pair up on on more stuff like this it's uh it's been great so with that rob what's the best way if people do want to find out more of course about rack in rebar all of the things cloud 2030 yeah. i'll have links for for folks that want to get signed up then uh, how do they reach you i i am very consistently zehicle z-e-h-i-c-l-e goes back to my electric car days um uh pretty much everywhere reason people don't like z's and handles but i i've been very happy with it um so you can find me on twitter and and everywhere um i'm very active on twitter and that's a great place to interact um racken is racken.com and uh that's the best that at this point that's the best linkage point to get to everything digital rebar if you're interested and uh the cloud 2030 um is the 2030.cloud is the website for that. So you can catch up on episodes or see what the schedule is. We, we stay about four weeks ahead if you want to cherry pick topics. Um, and, you know, but just drop in and it's a discussion. It's a hallway track. Um, I, they're just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Something no, been, we, des we desperately need. Yeah. 
And and the the funny thing is the people that you meet in that hallway, I've met them in other commercial, you know, opportunities now. It's it's hilarious to see that it really and truly is a small world. And and this is why, you know, the you see repeated voice come up, then you see them on Twitter, and then you see them, you know, in in other engagements. It's 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 uh this is why I love this is community, you know, the, the yeah. real true community. This is not about patting ourselves on the back because we built one thing well. It is really about finding people that are in a community of practice, you know. So we are, are practitioners of things. So the I'm not yeah. team OpenStack or team Kubernetes or team VMware. I am team people doing fantastic things with infrastructure and applications. And as a result, community truly transcends the ecosystem that we were maybe were born in or or lived in at the time. It's it's kind of cool That's, to see it all. Yeah, I mean, twenty after twenty years, I've seen these products come and go and come back again. Um, patterns in the people and and sadly, some of the problems that we solve haven't changed too much. So. <laughs> Wasn't they all, the old joke, right? They said that there's, you know, everybody talks about building a better mousetrap. At least that used to be the, like, the design of, like, build a company, build a better mousetrap. And there's, like, more patents for mousetraps than there are for, like, anything else in the world. And in the uh, end, you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever you happen to go to, home hardware if you're Canadian, uh, then what do you find? a slab of wood with a spring on it and a place to put cheese. The, the most simple possible thing is really the best thing for it. But hey, we're going to create, uh, you know, disaggregated uh, hyper-converged mousetrap infrastructure <laughs> somewhere and, and in the end, just grab a piece of wood with, with blockchain. With blockchain, yes. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. All right. There you go. Rob Hirschfeld, number 200. Thank you for celebrating 200 amazing and fun conversations oh, that uh, I've, I've, I hope to have many more. So I'm going to have you on for 300. Just give me the heads up right now. So mark your calendar <laughs> in however long it takes to get through 100 more of these. We're going to do this again. Oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll be in my walker and we'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> right on.